I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James. Turn with me to the book of James. I want to preach a message entitled, Christianity, God's Way. Christianity, God's Way. There are a lot of people who are doing Christianity, or at least they say they are. Um, There are a number of people who profess to be Christian, and is what uh, one pastor, um, Pastor uh, Craig Rochelle, terms as a Christian atheist. Interesting book that has recently come out. Uh, They profess everything, they say all the right things, but then they live opposite of what the Bible says. And uh, but today I want to talk to you about Christianity, God's way, because if we don't do it His way, what's the point? Uh, in fact, you would find that, that the, the whole idea of Christianity is simply that we are followers of Christ. Now, I recognize that through history, uh, the history of the world, not just this nation, but the history of the world, a lot has been done in the name of Christ and in the name of Christianity that has been less than Christ-like. It has not been in any way associated with Him, even though We like to put labels on things. We have to be absolutely careful what kind of label we use if we are not willing to live up to the label. Uh, You know, I remember a number of years ago when Coca-Cola, I'm not a big fan of Coke. I I just, uh, you know, of that brand of soft drink. I was a Pepsi kid growing up. And uh, the amount of sugar intake that I had in my teen years just, I don't know, I suppose it's probably catching up with me now. But, uh, you know, Coca-Cola a number of years ago, when I was, I think, a teenager at some point, they came out with the new Coke. Anybody remember that? You remember the new Coke? And people tried it and they said, tastes like Pepsi. I don't want that. You see, and Coke has had the brand of, of, or the slogan of being the real thing, right? And they started messing with success. People tossed it aside and said, no, that's no good. I don't like that. They didn't live up to the label, the brand that they had already built for themselves. They didn't need to do anything different except for, you know, those who decided they wanted to start to lose weight, then they had to come out with a diet Coke. And, and you know, if you, you drink it just for the taste of it, you're kidding me. <laughs> Seriously, it's just not that great. But at any rate, uh, and that was their slogan, just for the taste of it, diet Coke. I, I didn't understand that. But... Um, the, the label, for a period of time, the brand was damaged. In fact, people, you know, they kind of railed about it. The media got a hold of it. And, and they said, but, you know, you didn't need to mess with that. And certainly they didn't need to. They had a good brand that people liked and, and the whole deal. And the same thing happens with Christianity. Is we get a hold of a label, but then we don't follow it the way 
that God has intended in His Word. We kind of make things up. Jesus railed out against the religious leaders of the day when, when He was there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and He told them, fellas, you're, you're making up things as you go along. This, is, this isn't what God intended. This isn't what the Father has intended for us to live. You are making up your own traditions and passing off the traditions of men as though it was something that we should actually live by. He says, you're wrong to do that. So go with me now to James chapter 1, and what we have here is a blueprint of Christianity God's way. If you were to actually show up, I, I don't know, we all, I think, have our dream houses in mind, don't we? We kind of have in our heads what it is that, you know, we'd love to just walk into, and let's just say, let's just for the sake of saying, we can use our imagination for a minute that you were blessed with all kinds of money to be able to get your dream house, to build your dream house, not just buy your dream house, to build your dream house. And you hired a contractor, and that contractor said, all right, I'll show up on this particular day. And you said, great, come on, start work. The contractor would have one important question for you. Where are the blueprints? Blueprints? Blueprints are from, you know, years ago. We don't need blueprints anymore. Just come and I'll tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. If the contractor actually showed up for work that day, he would be as crazy as you are. You don't approach any kind of a building project without blueprints. And blueprints, Brother Mervyn's a carpenter, blueprints show you exactly what needs to be done, Correct. I have seen blueprints. I couldn't make heads or tails out of them. I'm not a builder, a carpenter, or anything else. But blueprints tell you exactly what needs to occur in the building of that home. God has shown us in his word what his blueprint is for your life. And how it is that you and I need to live if we are going to wear the label Christian. And I trust that it's more than just a label. That it is a lifestyle. James chapter 1, starting at verse 19, and we're going to read down through to verse 27. The Bible says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1 verses 19 through 27 is but one facet of the blueprint. It's one page, one layer of the blueprint of Christianity and what it is and how it is that God wants us to live in our Christian lives. How it is that we are to be, in fact, Christ-like. And James, if you've ever read the book of James, James doesn't pull any punches. He's one of those direct kind of guys. He, he doesn't, you know, you don't look at what he says and say, I don't really understand that. James just, he goes straight to the point. He would be the kind of individual who when he said, hello, how are you? That's nice, let me get to the point. That's how he presents what it is that we're going to look at today. The first part of the plan that shows us, first of all, this. It shows us what to do with the prevalent evil. For those who don't think that evil exists in the world, all you needed to do was watch the news or turn on the TV or check on the internet and get your news last night. And you would know that in New York City they had to clear Times Square because there was a failed bombing attempt in Times Square in New York City. Evil exists in the world. Evil is all around us. But James says, for your individual life, what are you to do with it? Now that was in New York. We're in Chicago. So what are we to do with the presence of evil in our lives and what are we to do with things that seem to have, hang, have been hanging on in our lives how it is how are we going to reconcile the things that we used to do with what we know is right to do listen to what the bible says in verse 21 let's read that first part again therefore the bible says get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent look at those words get rid of this is a once-for-all action. It's kind of like what I just did a moment ago. I got a little warm. I took off my jacket. I put that off. said, that's, that's going to overheat me. I don't need that. In the end, it is like taking off a jacket. The Bible says, get rid of all moral filth. It's not something that you toy with. It's not something that you hang on to. It is something that we have to get rid of. It's something that you must completely and totally turn over to him, lay it before him and say, Lord, this is not something that I'm meant to carry. Take it away from me. Part of the problem is, is that many times we come to Christ and we profess faith in Christ. We say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I'm giving my life to you and I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. Lord, I'm going to give you my very best. And then we go out tomorrow, the next week, another day, somewhere down the road, and we begin to pick up some of the same junk that we used to do that, that was, was nailed to the cross. You are not bound to that thing anymore. You don't have to live in bondage to the same kind of nonsense and sin that used to hold you captive but instead because of what he did on the cross of Christ you need to know that you can be absolutely free of those things that the Bible calls moral filth and the rest of the world seems to be calling now issues or you know choices 
whatever you want to call it, but the Bible calls it moral filth. And we can see what those things are in just a moment. In fact, we're going to go there in just a minute in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. But just hold on with me uh, just for a moment. The Bible lets us know, though, that we need to get rid of it. What did Jesus say? He said these words, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, he's not talking about your real eye, your literal eye. Please don't try that. Okay, don't. He, he, was, he, was, he was using a figure of speech to let you know that if there is something on the inside that is hindering you from progressing and knowing Him and coming into the kingdom of God, He says, get rid of it. It's not worth it to hang on to it and lose out on eternal life. So many people are hanging on to things they don't want to let go of. They say, but God's going to kill all the fun. He's going to kill all the joy. No, the Bible lets us know that when you come to Christ, there is joy unspeakable. You can't even describe it in your life. I know there are days that we go through. You say, well, that's how it's supposed to be all the time. No, in this life, Jesus also promised his disciples that we would have afflictions. There are times of trouble. There are times of trial. Why? Because the enemy is still the prince of the power of the air, still at work in the world. But there can be joy in the midst of your trouble when you come to him. So we've got to get rid of everything that would hinder your entrance into the joy of eternal life, into the joy of knowing Christ as your Savior. We've got to deal with the prevalent evil, which is get rid of it. It shouldn't belong in the life of those who label themselves Christians, those who say, I came to an altar, I confessed my sin before the Lord, and I gave my heart to Christ. I came to Him, I repented of my sin. That evil, brothers and sisters, was the same evil that put Jesus on the cross. It was the same sin that caused Him to take your place. You don't need it in your life anymore. Get rid of it. Therefore, get rid of it. Get rid of all filth, all evil. But also, the Bible lets us know that we need to do this in dealing with prevalent evil. It indicates that we need to get right in our actions and our emotions. In verses 19 through 20, if you just keep your, keep your finger in Galatians. We'll get back there in a minute. The Bible lets us know this, verses 19 and 20 of James chapter 1. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now here's what we need. We need ears that hear. The Bible says be quick to listen. Yesterday I was on the phone with somebody and I knew he was on a cell phone, I was on my cell phone. And you know how there's like this little bit, it happens to my wife and I all the time, where there's this little pause. It's like it seems to take a, you know, take a second as opposed to a landline. It takes a second for your voice to get to where they are. So it sounds like this, you know, there's like this silence for a minute. So you figure the other person's done talking, right? Let me speak. As soon as you start speaking, the other person starts speaking because they got the same silence, the same pause. So then you're talking at the same time. You can't understand what each other's saying. You say, oh, okay. And then you stop for a minute. Oh, go ahead. 
but it takes a second for the, oh, go ahead to get there. And so then you both start talking again at the same time. You, didn't, you thought maybe they didn't hear you. And I, I did this with this, this guy yesterday about three times in, in, at the beginning of the conversation until finally I just shut up. You know, I just closed my mouth. I didn't say anything, and I just let him talk. You know, we, the Bible says we've got to be quick to listen. If you can do this, you're going to begin to hear what somebody is saying rather than what you think they're saying. This, this is important in life, just in everyday life. Whatever it is that we're going through, whatever it is, whoever it is that we are communicating with, the Bible lets us know we have to be very quick to listen. And not just, you know, you hear a few, for the first few sentences and all of a sudden you've made up your mind where you think they're headed. Can't do that. We, when you're quick to listen, you are going to listen to the whole matter. Listen to the whole thing. The Bible says, be quick to listen, but then it says also be slow to speak. This is where many of us get into a lot of trouble. Because first, we're not quick to listen. Or actually, we turn on our ears and we hear what we think we've already made up in our minds is coming out. And immediately, boom, out with it. We begin to speak. The Bible says, be quick to listen, but slow to speak. Why? Because James is going to go on a little bit later on and he's going to let us know that our tongue can get us into a whole pile of trouble. In fact, that's what James chapter 3, the first few verses in James chapter 3 is all about. It's about letting the tongue just go loose. You see, if you have come to Christ, we've got to let him be in control of what comes out of our mouths. We can't allow the tongue to get in the way of what it is that God wants us to be and how it is that he wants us to live. Be slow to speak because what comes out of the mouth can either build up or it can devastate. What does Proverbs say? The power of life and death is in the tongue. It's, it's not about the outward actions. It's about what's on the inside that can come out. The... the, the uh, Rabbis used to say that an arrow or a, uh, a sword can kill at close distance, but an arrow can kill at a far distance. The tongue is like an arrow. It can kill far away. A message can come through that can be so devastating in a person's life. So we have to be very careful. We have to watch what comes out of our mouths. We have to begin to speak as the Bible tells us to speak. To talk the way that, that God has told us to talk. Listen, the way of, of the world is just to say whatever comes to mind and who cares who it hurts. No, listen, God wants us to be, be so loving and so, so generous with our lives that we would be slow to speak so that we can learn what might bring peace or what might edify or build somebody up and encourage them. And the Bible takes it further. James says, be slow to get angry. Slow to become angry. Allow me to state something that is very, very important about anger. Anger does not have to be expressed outwardly to be anger. It's an emotion. It happens on the inside, right? Oftentimes, it comes out. 
There are people who walk around on a daily basis and they will smile at you, but they are the most angry kind of an individual because on the inside there is something that is unresolved. There is something that is raging in them and out of control. They're trying to put on a show. They're trying to make people think that they are not, but in fact there is something that's going on on the inside. The Bible even takes it further. It says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James warns us in verse 20, he says this, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that who desires? That God desires. God has a desire for you and it is for you to live a righteous life that is in right relationship with him and right relationship with others. And he says anger is not part of the equation. I know the, the Bible says in another place it says be angry and sin not that's important. Be angry. That is, it is a righteous anger. Anger against things that are, are against God. Not people, but the things, the sins that, that plague people's lives. Be angry at sin. Be angry at what it can do to somebody's life. Don't be angry at the individual, but instead be redemptive in the way that you deal with people. Sometimes we make excuses for anger. Well, it's just how I am. He died for how you are. He died for how I am. Look, I realize that I also know this. God's still working on all of us. You know, we're all works in progress. But don't let that become an excuse as well. Well, God's still working on me. And then the next thing out of your mouth is you're berating somebody and letting them have a piece of your mind and just letting... No. If he's still working on you, then submit to him. Give yourself to him. Well, you know, we say things, about, well, I just, you know, I had to get that off my chest. I feel better now. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you feel better. But what about the rest of the crew around you? Do you feel better now? Do they feel better? Well, you know, and we, we, we just kind of get into things. It's healthy to express anger. For who? In the end, for who? The Bible says be slow to become angry. It teaches us to be angry about the right things, not to just let it fly. None of these are in agreement with what God has to say and his word. When your anger is out of control, there is nothing about the righteous life of God that can come to the surface and you as a follower of him. Now, I, I, Jesus got angry, but he got angry when he went into his house and he saw that there were those around it who had made it a den of thieves. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. They have changed the format. They changed what the house of God was all about. They made it a den of thieves. He says, no, this is supposed to be a refuge. This is supposed to be a place where people can come and they can call upon the Lord. Verse 21 says this. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Go over to Galatians chapter 19. Let's go there just for a moment. Say, but what does that mean? What is the moral filth? Well, Paul states it this way. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and down through to 21. 
He says this. Here's the moral film. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They are absolutely obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what, what James, James is saying, he's saying, get rid of all that junk. That's not part of the life of Christ. You want to you wanna wear the label Christian, folks. Listen, it goes beyond just having, saying, well, I go to church. Good for you. Can I clue you into something at this moment? The enemy goes to church. Well, I believe in God. Great. James tells us that the demons believe and they take it a step further. They tremble. Well, I haven't hurt anybody. Great. That's a wonderful place to start. It doesn't save you from sin. It doesn't mean that you're on your way to heaven. Listen, you say, well, is it to live the life that you say, Pastor? No, it's not. It is to live. Remember, this is God's blueprint. This isn't Pastor Lawrence's blueprint. I didn't make this up. I wouldn't make this up. Man didn't invent this. Man doesn't invent stuff that puts man down. He invents things to build himself up. God, God is the only one who can point his finger at us and say, that's got to get right. This is one of the ways we know the Bible is, in fact, the inspired word of God. Mankind didn't make this up. God has shown this to be his blueprint for how it is that we're to live. The Bible tells us what to do with the prevalent evil. But part of the greater answer is getting rid of the things that are wrong. But I believe that the Bible, and it doesn't leave us on a negative note. James doesn't do that. And God doesn't do that either. The second part of this plan shows us what to do with the planted word. Somewhere along the way, somebody might have shared something about what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you. The Bible says these words. It says that he was crucified. He, was, he died on the cross and he died for our sins. It was our sins. He took our place. We say, well, that's great, but what's the point? The point is, apart from him, we are in fact sinners on our way to hell. Without him... That is where we're headed. So he died in your place so that now you don't have to be served with the punishment for your sin. But what do we need to do? We need to come to him in faith. It says that he was raised for our justification. That is, he came back to life so that you could have eternal life. The fact that he rose from the grave lets us know there is a resurrection of the dead and there is the eternal life that he told Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. He says you've got to be born again. And John chapter 3 and verse 16 lets us know that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Now, you might have heard a little bit about that. That is like a seed being planted in your life. And he says this in verse 21 of James chapter 1. The Bible says, and humbly 
except the word planted in you, which can save you. You see, when you accept the word of God boldly or humbly, you become a doer of the word and not a hearer only. See, James talks about those who just hear the word of God. They hear what it says and they say, yeah, who cares? Or they just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, that wasn't for me today. That was for, you know, that brother across the aisle. Man, I'm glad he was here. Really needed to hear that. I'm going to pray for him, Lord. Just help him to put it all into action. Help him to practice it, Lord. Thank God you spoke to him. Humbly accept. Not for your brother, your sister. Humbly accept for you. The word that has been planted in you. Not just the word that shows you the way of salvation, but the word that shows you the way and how to live in that salvation or as a result of that salvation. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you. Listen to what James says in verses 22 and 24, down through to 24. He says, do not merely listen to the word. He says, when you're just a listener and not a doer, you are deceived. You're just deceived. He says, you deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The tone of James in these three verses is that of a warning. He cautions us in one direction as it relates to the word of God and it is simple. Don't just listen to it, act on the word. Don't just hear it, live it. When Jesus told us that we are to be meek, that we are to be humble, he says, you know, don't just listen to what he says. Do it. Live in a way that honors him. Live in a way that that lifts the name of Jesus up. And instead of, of, you know, kind of somehow making it through life, doing your own thing, but somehow also trying to slap the label on your forehead and say, yep, I'm a Christian. James is saying, are we really, if we're not doing what the Word said, can we really, really say, well, yes, I'm a believer, if you don't live what you believe. James is going to go on in this epistle, and he's also going to talk about the fact that we need to show our faith by what? Our works. We don't earn salvation by what we do But the works are the outflow of our salvation. We are saved by faith alone. And that is, is, it's of grace, it's of the mercy of God. You can't earn your salvation. You can't impress God. You can't say to God, you know what, God, I've been so good. Aren't you proud of me? Now I can have salvation. That's not how it works. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But when you come to Christ, you now must prove that faith by your works. The outflow of your faith is, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. The Bible says, do what it commands, or do what it says. This command will have an effect in three different directions. It will affect your relationship to God. You will come to him when he says, enjoy the present, my presence. And, and the psalmist David said, in his presence there's fullness of joy. You'll learn to come into his presence and get to know who God is. Your relationship to others, it certainly will affect how you relate to one another and relate to anybody in the world. 
But not only that, it will affect your relationship to yourself. Basically, when you do what the Word of God says, you will spend time with God. You will reach out to others in all, and all the while being very careful to make sure that your own soul is right with God. That you will watch how you live. You see, when you accept the Word of God humbly, you will look intently into His Word. Look at verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard. There is only one way to approach the Word of God, and it is by looking intently into it. I know there are people who say, well, you know, I read a chapter and I didn't like what it was that I saw. So, you know what, I just got rid of it. I, I don't agree with it, and they, you know they'll read a couple of chapters here and there, a couple of things here and there, and all of a sudden now it's, it's gone. The Bible lets us know that we need to look intently into this word. We need to see what the Bible has to say. We need to read it. There is a man who started, he was, he was a non-believer, an unbeliever. When he started his journey, he said, I'm going to read the Bible through in 90 days. He did not know the Lord. He didn't accept, hadn't accepted Christ. He didn't know anything about Christianity. He didn't know anything about God. But he started reading, and he made it his own personal goal as an unbeliever to read the Bible, to look intently into it in 90 days. He did it, and halfway through his reading, he became a believer. Halfway through, he became a believer in Christ. I want you to, and this is the same guy, if you've ever seen Read the Bible in 90 Days, the, those Bibles, some of you have them. I know we've sort of presented them. I don't know if any of you has ever, you know, kind of gone through the challenge. I know I can't do it. I'm not that fast in my reading. But I, I, he did it, and, and it, he looked intently into it. He became a believer. You see, we've got to look intently into the Word of God and see what it says and we need to continue, and the Bible says, and continues to do this. Here's what is so vital in coming to the Word of God as we learn how to live our Christian lives. When you go to the Word of God, you find out what God's blueprint is for you. How it is you want God to live, how God wants you to live. How it is He desires and has designed for you to live the Christian life. Now the Bible says in the last part of verse 25, it says, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. When you accept the word of God humbly, God's blessing will be on your life. When you begin to put it into action, you can begin to see God do great things. You say, wow, I love that formula. Wait a minute. It's not a formula. It doesn't happen like that. It's not one of those things where you put it into action and all of a sudden overnight everything changes. That's, that's not what he is saying. But he is saying you will be blessed. How? Woo, money in the pocket. That's immediately what we think about, isn't it? I'm going to have more money in my pocket. I know there are preachers on, on television who are going to tell you that's the way it's going to be. You're just going to be, you're going to have piles of money coming out of your pocket. Why is that the only means of blessing? I don't find that in Scripture. Actually, I don't even find it in the New Testament. I find in the New Testament that oftentimes those who were blessed were those who were persecuted. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes? Blessed are you or happy are you? 
There is an element of joy that comes to your life as you humbly accept the word of God. You will be blessed in what he does. The last part of this blueprint is this. It is how to have powerful Christianity. Verses 26 and 27 give us such a a powerful and important idea of what it is and how it is that we are to live the Christian life. The Bible says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The first area of powerful Christianity is to control your tongue. Control your tongue. What comes out of the mouth is absolutely essential to how it is that you will portray the living, loving Christ to the world. I, I have worked with people in the past who on the job, I'm, here I, I am, I'm, I'm in a secular job, I'm a pastor going to the job, and here's somebody who from time to time, I remember this one lady who would pick up Christianity as if it were a coat. One day she'd put it on. Another day she'd take it off. But I remember this one time where she was putting it on. And unfortunately she was really putting it on in that sense. It was like a smoke screen for the rest of her life. She brought her Bible, a big old Bible, to work. Boom, sat it right down there. But then what began to come out of her mouth is something that the Bible tells us shouldn't be coming out of the mouth of a Christian. And I used to think, I remember thinking, I never got the boldness or the courage to say to this one lady, you know what, do me a favor. As a Christian, leave your Bible home. If that's the way this conversation is going to go, if that's what's going to come out, leave it at home. In fact, go home and read it. (laughs) Read what it says. Look intently into it. Listen, God wants us to be his hand extended to the world. But how can we be that? How can we be his hand extended to the world if what is coming out of our mouth is opposite of what it is that he desires for our lives? How can we truly portray the loving, living Christ if what's coming out of our mouths is the opposite of what shows a living, loving Christ? So we have to control our tongue. Enough said about that. Live by God's view of religion. Verse 27, and I'll close with this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows. Those who are down and out. Those who are often marginalized and shoved aside by society. He says look after them. And and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Oh, this is, this is an important thing when it comes to the soul and when it comes to our relationship with the world. Is the world affecting you or are you affecting the world? Is the world somehow having an effect on the way that you think, on your worldview? Some, you know, say, well, you know, can everybody be wrong? 
Unfortunately, we have seen throughout history, entire societies can be deceived into doing something that is absolutely false and can, can bring about such a horrific, horrific time in history. We have seen that entire nations and peoples can be deceived. Yes, unfortunately, everybody can be wrong. They can be deceived. So we have to come alongside with what it is that God shows us is real and true religion. Look after orphans. In other words, look after those who are defenseless and they're easy prey for unscrupulous people in the world who couldn't care less what happens. All they want to do is make a buck. All they want to do is take advantage of somebody. The Bible lets us know that we have to protect them. Pure religion is looking out for those who cannot look out for themselves. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Don't run, don't run with the world. Don't allow yourself to follow in their footsteps of what they think life is all about. In your pursuit of godliness, you may give the appearance of being a religious fanatic, but when it is the kind of religion that God wants from us, then that is fine. I realize to even mention the word fanatic, we get a little worried about what that means. We don't need to worry about that because the Bible gives us the answer. It lets us know that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against principalities and powers of the air. That is the, the enemy of your soul, the devil. Our warfare is with him. We have to fight it by living a life that is pleasing to God, coming to the word of God, looking intently in it, and then praying and seeking God with everything that is within us. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment?